our scripture for today is in Luke chapter 19. It's printed in your bulletin. We're going to be looking at verses 28 to 48. It's a fitting text given that this is Palm Sunday because this was the day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. So if you want to follow along or just give ear, this is, this is God's word. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you untying it, tell them, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. This is God's word. We've been going through this section of the Gospel of Luke. We've been reading the whole story. And any time we read the Bible, with any passage, the, the question that confronts us is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And then why does it matter? This is the purpose behind what Luke is writing here, behind the whole gospel. Luke is trying to get us to understand who Jesus is and then to show you why it matters. Now, he wrote 2,000 years ago, but today Jesus is still speaking to people. Today, Jesus is speaking to people who don't know him, to non-Christians, because frankly, lots of people have rejected Jesus and they've rejected Christianity because they've been exposed to a false version of it, to a caricature of it. They've never been exposed to the real Jesus. And so today, Jesus is going to come and to speak to us, to show us who he really is. And Jesus also is speaking to Christians because it's easy for us to forget who he is. Right? It's tough for us because we get overwhelmed, we get distracted, we become selfish, judgmental, and we need to be reminded also 
so that we don't fall into the wrong kinds of traps and wrong thinking about Jesus. One author said that what you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. And then as a follow-up to that, he said that we all unconsciously gravitate toward our image of Jesus. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? Think about your best qualities for a second. When you think about what you do well, it's typically pretty easy to picture the passages in Scripture, the stories where Jesus kind of looks like you. Right? And so we need to be careful. We need to have a right view of Jesus so that we can gravitate toward who he really is and not to some incomplete version of who he is in our minds. Okay, and so in this passage, Jesus is going to reveal himself with unbelievable clarity. We're going to see him for who he is. And so the story shows us three things about Jesus. And each of these three things, it's amazing, each of these three things Jesus is because it's exactly what we need. Okay, so the three things we're going to see today is that Jesus is, first, a king with loving authority. Second, he's a prophet who cares and tells us the truth. And then third, he's a priest who saves us from religion. So first, Jesus is a king who has loving authority. We see this in verses 29 to 38. We see the crowds in verse, tw- uh, in verse 37, actually. We start there. The crowd declares that Jesus is king. They begin to joyfully praise God and they say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is exactly what Jesus wanted them to conclude because Jesus has been telling them through this story even, he's been doing it all along, but specifically in this story, he's been telling the people, look, I am the king. I am the king that you've been waiting for. And we see this because our text says first that he came riding from the Mount of Olives. Okay, that's in verses 29 and 37, the mention of the Mount of Olives. He also comes riding on a colt. Okay? Now these things aren't just ancillary details. Luke doesn't include things in here that just aren't, that that don't push the story forward. The Mount of Olives and the colt are two things that would have resonated with the people. When the people saw Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives and they saw him riding on a colt, the people that understood what God had revealed before, the promises of God that God had made to his people hundreds of years before would have said, wait a second, wait, I've read about this before. I've read about someone coming down the Mount of Olives on a colt. And then some who maybe had the scriptures kind of at the, you know, at their fingertips or on the edge of their minds would have said, wait, wait, Zechariah. I remember reading, if you read Zechariah in chapter 9, it says that God, and this is, you've got to imagine, this is hundreds of years before Christ. Hundreds of years before Jesus came. Zechariah said there's going to be a king who's going to come. And he is going to come riding on a colt. And he's going to come down the Mount of Olives. And so the people of God were holding on to that promise. And for hundreds of years, they're waiting for that promise to come true. And then when Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives on this colt, they say, this is the king. This is the king. The people recognized it. And that was why verse 38, it's actually a quote from Psalm 118. It's a quote from Psalm 118, which was a psalm that heralded the coming of the king. The coming of the king, so the people got it. And so what we see here is that Jesus is the king that was promised. Jesus brings the fulfillment of God's promises. When God promises something, Jesus makes the promises 
come true. He is the fulfillment of the promises of God. And so He is the King. And what's amazing is that His kingdom brings peace. His kingdom brings peace. They say peace in heaven in verse 38. And glory in the highest. Now this isn't just a good feeling. Right? Peace isn't just tranquility. This is a deep and abiding and a robust and world-changing peace. The peace that Jesus' kingdom brings is a peace that makes us right with God. It gives us peace with God. It gives us peace with each other. It reconciles relationships. It gives us peace with our own conflict inside, with ourselves. And then it makes us have peace with the earth, with the creation that Kurt reminded us is worshiping God. It brings us peace with creation. And so Jesus brings this peace. And so as this kingdom comes then, as it comes now, it brings healing in marriages. It brings healing in families. It brings healing in communities, in neighborhoods. Jesus' kingdom brings peace. And he brings this peace because as king, he has authority. Right? Now think about kings. Right? So many of us think when we think about kings, we typically go the route of thinking about tyrants. Right? We think about what happens to people when they get power. And if you give a king power, a king has pretty much absolute power. And once you get absolute power, it corrupts you absolutely. Right? That's the way the phrase goes. Kings, historically, have abused the power that they have. And so we think about tyrants, but Jesus is not like earthly kings. Right? He is the opposite of the kingdoms of the world. He brings the kingdom of God. Jesus uses his authority to love. All of his authority, all of his power, all of his energy that Jesus brings in his kingdom comes to serve others, to empower others, to bless others. And don't you need this? Think about all the influences, right? If we were going to say that authority is like influence, think about all the influences that surround you, right? Influences at work. Maybe you have a boss or peers, friends, family members. I mean, think about influences, even most generally, advertising, media, movies, music. Everything's trying to influence us, right? Things are trying to push us. And oftentimes, what things, where we get pushed are we're getting pushed to, to get ahead. We're getting pushed to not necessarily worry about other people, but take care of yourself first. We're getting pushed to think that our needs are more important than anything else in the world. Because if you don't take care of your needs, nobody else will. So make sure that you fend for yourself. And then not just even outside, but inside. Right? If we're honest, inside, we feel the influence of our own selfishness. We feel the influence pushing us in the wrong direction. But Jesus' authority is the authority of love. Jesus' authority actually causes us to be released into the world to be a force to help people to heal society, and to take care of people in need. And this isn't just a vision, okay? It's not just pie in the sky, oh, wouldn't it be great if somehow we could get everybody to do this? No, Jesus is, this isn't just talk. Jesus' authority comes not just with love, but with power. With power. In verse 37, it says, the people praised God for the miracles that they had seen. Jesus had shown the power and showed that the power that he had was real. Think about it. If you read through Luke's gospel, you can see the power on display. 
The sick and the diseased are healed. Lepers were cleansed. The sea was magically, not magically, miraculously stilled during the midst of a storm. The dead were raised. People who were in bondage to demonic oppression were being released. Demons were being cast out. The hungry were fed. The poor were cared for. And all kinds of the wrong sort of people were following Jesus and their lives were being transformed. It's like Jesus was starting over. Jesus was re, he was recre, he's recreating humanity. He's saving people from themselves. And so these people, they knew that Jesus was king because they had seen these miracles. They had seen this power and they had seen this loving authority. And what's amazing is that all the miracles, none of the miracles were done by Jesus to put himself on display. He never did miracles as a show-off mechanism or to get people to follow him. The miracles that he did were all about helping other people. They were all about service. They were all about loving and using his authority to love and to care for the people that had been entrusted to him. And as I thought about this, I was thinking, well, so, but what about today? You know, these miracles, you can read the Gospels and they're all over the place. It's like Jesus' power was, was everywhere. Well, is he still the king today with power? Or was that just for back then? Well, the answer is yes. The power is still here today. Jesus is still coming with power. His kingdom is still present with us and it's present with power. I mean, here are some of the things that I've seen even just in the last month in terms of the coming of the kingdom. In Chula Vista, there's a couple that has been estranged. They were a family, they had children, and they got separated. They were living separately. They weren't getting along together. Well, they finally decided to seek the Lord, and they found a pastor. And that pastor counseled them. And these two people, this husband and a wife, they repented, and they were reconciled. And now they're building their life back together. That's the power of God at work. There was another pastor and his wife who had a miscarriage. It was their fourth miscarriage. And they were devastated. The day after they heard the news and then had to go to the doctor, um, they were walking in their neighborhood. And they were walking together and basically they were just feeling awful. They were feeling the despair, the depression, the loss of their fourth unborn child. And as they walked by this one house, they kind of had reminded themselves that they hadn't really, they'd been meaning to meet the woman that lived in there. They had met her son, but not the woman. They'd never met the woman. And somehow, in ways that are really just unexplicable, God put on both of their heart that they needed to go in and say hello to this woman. They needed to go and talk to her. And independently from each other, one of them looked at the other and said, you know, I really think, I feel like the Lord is telling me to go knock on that door. And the wife said, yeah, you know what? He's doing the same thing to me. So they go knock on the door. They go in and they actually met this woman, this 87-year-old woman who was bedridden. She's bedridden. She's laying in her bed. The covers are up here and her hand's kind of shaking. And so they get to meet her and they say, hi, how you doing? You know, they, they start to ask her about her story and she begins to tell them her story. And at one point, the wife just kind of broke down and said, look, I just need to let you know I'm not, I'm not doing real well right now. I just had my fourth miscarriage. And this 87-year-old woman looked at her and said, Honey, I've had three miscarriages. I lost my husband after my second child was born. Let me tell you how the Lord brought me through it. 
And they were just blown away. This, was, this woman was a believer. And not just any believer, but the exact person that could help this woman and, this, and her husband get through dealing with this miscarriage. That's the power of God on display. That's God orchestrating events of life to bring comfort to people who need it. There's another church whose families are bringing homeless folks into their homes and living with them because they're trying to figure out, well, how can we include people that are, that are poor and needy? How can we wrap our arms around them and love them? And so this church has families that are welcoming the homeless in and they are finding, wonder of wonders, that there aren't really that many differences between them and the people that they're providing housing for. They're finding more in common with these folks who don't have homes. And they're learning and they're growing. The ace pitcher for the baseball team at San Diego State University gave his life to Christ this last month. Another man who's been struggling with chronic illness for a decade, just in this last month, has realized that he has been choosing to let the presence or absence of his symptoms dictate his attitude and his emotion and his outlook on life. And this last month, he realized that he's been making an idol of his symptoms. For him, he's basically been concluding, and he didn't actually mean to do this, but this is what's happened in his life. He's basically said, well, if I'm feeling well, then praise the Lord. If I'm not feeling well, then, well, just chuck it all. And he's realized that he's been giving himself into the symptoms, into the sickness And God has freed him this last month. He's freed him from that so that now he perseveres. Now he knows, wait a second, I can praise God just as much in the midst of my suffering as I can when I'm well. I don't need to wait until my symptoms go away to see that God is being good to me and to see even how God can use this sickness in my life to put his power on display and to show that he is so worthy He is so powerful and so good and kind. His authority is so loving that I will praise Him in the midst of a debilitating sickness. I mean, it's amazing. A 10-year-old girl is wrestling with her faith, wondering if God is real. And God is making Himself real to her. He's touching her heart and showing her that He's real. I mean, I could go on. There's a, a new believer a new believer who's been praying desperately for her brother who's dying with cancer. And her brother gave his life to the Lord this last week. The kingdom of God is still coming with power. It was coming with power in Jesus' day and it has been coming with power ever since. Are you experiencing this power? This power comes when you submit to Jesus' loving authority. It's the loving authority of Jesus that defends us, that protects us, that heals us. And when we think about Jesus being king, it just reminds us that one of the reasons we need him as king is because we're weak. We're weak. We're not here because we've got it all figured out. We're here because we don't have it figured out. We're here because we need Jesus to be our king. We need his protection. We need this authority at home. We need it with our families. We need it at work. I mean, don't you need the influence of Jesus to help you deal with issues at work? To love your neighbors? This is why they heralded Him and praised God for Jesus. 
It's a fitting response. And when you open your eyes and begin to see God at work in the world around you, when you see His kingdom coming with power, your heart will be raised up and you will praise God too. That's the joy of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is a king with loving authority. Well, second, he's also a prophet. He's a prophet who cares and who tells you the truth. And so we see in verses 39 to 44 that Jesus, he has truth. He's he's telling the truth to these religious leaders. They rejected him as king. Right in the midst, you can kind of imagine it, right? In the midst of this amazing crowd that's praising God, you've got these leaders that are standing in the back going, this is just ridiculous. Are you kidding me? That guy king? These people are stupid. No wonder they need us to be their leaders. Right? This is what the religious leaders were doing. Teacher, stop them. Make them stop calling you king. We know you're not king. You know you're not king. You better fix this. And Jesus, as the prophet, he tells them, look, let me tell you something. If they don't praise me, the stones will cry out. Again, back to what Kurt said at the beginning. Creation itself is praising God. Creation itself saw that this was the king. Creation would have cried out if there were no people to give God the praise that was due him. And this might be a backhanded insult from Jesus. The rocks know better. (laughs) The rocks are smart enough to see that I'm the king. And you can't? So Jesus comes... And he warns them. And he warns them. He tells them that their rejection of him as king is going to lead them into judgment. So 40 years before it happened, Jesus predicted that the Roman army was going to come. It was going to surround the city and it was going to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. So Jesus, as a prophet, was willing to tell them the truth when they needed to hear it. But the key to notice here is to notice the heart of the prophet. When Jesus comes and he announces this judgment, this warning, he weeps. He weeps. And I tell you, if you read the Bible from front to back, when prophets come with messages of judgment, this is what they do. They weep. They weep. Jeremiah says, oh, that my eyes were rivers. Oh, that tears would flow like fountains from my eyes. Because God's people have lost their way. And what's amazing is that this isn't just the heart of the prophet. This is the heart of God himself. God does not want anyone to perish. God takes no delight in the death even of the wicked. But God would want everyone to turn and live. To find life and to find forgiveness. We see it in the person of Jesus. God weeps over sin. He weeps over the brokenness of life. He's grieved over evil in societies that that do damage and destruction to people. And honestly, this is one of the things that I love about Jesus. This is one of the things that makes me want to follow him, especially when I've blown it. Because when you come to Jesus... He loves you. He's not going to say, I told you so. He's not going to get down on you. He's not going to make you feel worse than you already do. He's going to open his arms and say, I know, come. 
Come, you need forgiveness. But you need to repent. You need to accept my authority in your life. You need to stop trying to do it on your own. And so he comes and he tells the truth to us so that we would be healed. And I think most of us, we we know people like this, right? We know people that when they have that bad news to give to us because we need to be told something, you know when they're telling you. They're not telling you because they're taking any sort of malicious glee and having to expose you, but they really care and they want to see you grow. I mean, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's speaking the truth in love. And so as I thought about that, I thought, well, gosh, if this is his heart toward us, shouldn't this be our heart toward each other? Right? I mean, talk about an image of Jesus that we need to get fixed in our minds. Right? We need Jesus as a prophet. But we need him as the right kind of prophet, not just someone who will come up and bite us with his words. But we need someone who will come and speak the truth in love. And so we need this prophet because... Again, truth be told, we're prone to ignore our faults. We're prone to justify the things that we do. We're prone to focus on our good points so that hoping that nobody will notice the bad stuff. That's just, that's what we're prone to do. And we need a prophet like this who will speak the truth to us and will do it with love. So a king with loving authority, a prophet who cares and tells us the truth. And then last, Jesus is also a priest who saves you from religion. This is verses 45 to 48. Jesus' first act in the city was to go into the temple and cleanse it, to clean it out. He threw the people out of the temple because he opposed the religion that had replaced what God wanted there. Okay, In the temple at that time, hypocrisy reigned. Bad spiritual leaders were tyrants. They were spiritual tyrants. External works were required, but there was nothing, it had nothing to do with the heart. Here's what you had to do. The temple had become a place where people who were looking for God couldn't find him. You know, and I know this. I mean, in my own experience, I spent 16 years of my life in a dead religion. In a religion that made absolutely no difference in my life that had nothing, that made no impact on me. And so Jesus comes and cleans us all out because the the, the temple wasn't a place where the leaders were supposed to abuse their authority, right? The temple wasn't a place where people should be able to turn a profit. No, the temple was a place where people who weren't holy could go and admit it. Right? The temple was a place where you went when you screwed up. The temple was a place where when you'd fallen, you could go and you could find forgiveness. Where God could remind you that though you've sinned, there's a substitute. Right? Animals were sacrificed in the temple. And so these people would come with the weight of guilt and the burden of their sin holding an animal. And they would offer that animal. And that animal would die the death that they were supposed to die. Right? That animal would take their place. And when that animal was offered and the smoke rose up, the priest would turn around and tell them, God has accepted your sacrifice. Your sins are forgiven. And you have peace with God. That's what the temple was for. 
And so Jesus had to clean it all out. He cleaned it out of this religion. And he brings it, what he brings back into it is the gospel. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. That's what Jesus' coming means for us. He came to Jerusalem and he cleansed the temple. He got rid of all the garbage of religion. That's what he's doing here tonight. That's what he's doing here for us. This is why we meet every week, because frankly, we need this at least once a week, if not more. Right? We need to be given a fresh start. We need someone who will come in. We need a priest who will come to us and get rid of all the works-based stuff, all the performance and trying to earn God's favor and, and trying to be good enough. We need somebody to get rid of all that because the reality is that we're never good enough. We're never good enough to earn the blessings of God. We just can't be. We're broken. And so we need a priest who will come and to bring us good news, who will free us from that. And will tell us that God's blessings are a gift. They're a gift for those who admit that they've fallen. They're a gift for those who admit that they need it. And Jesus can do this because he is our priest. And what's amazing about Jesus is that he's not just a priest. He's also the sacrifice. Right? Priest and sacrifice come together in Jesus. We see this in the last couple of verses, verses 47 and 48. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. They didn't want him. They didn't want this good news. He didn't want the gospel because, well, they kind of enjoyed the way things were. Thank you very much. They enjoyed the power that they had over people. They enjoyed the esteem that they had. They enjoyed the positions. And so they sought to kill him. And ultimately, five days after this happened, they succeeded. On that Good Friday, they killed Jesus. They crucified him. They meant his death for evil. But God meant it for good. God used this death. Jesus didn't deserve to die but that was the point. That was the point. His death was the substitute for our sins. His death opens the door for us to receive the blessings. I mean, think of this through. Do you feel like you lack the power of God's kingdom in your life? Do you feel like you're not submitting to Jesus' loving authority? Do you not feel like He is operating or He's working? Do you feel like, are you struggling to see Him work? in your life? Do you feel like you're not doing a good job speaking the truth in love to other people? Are you failing to sort of live up to that example that Jesus has set for us to weep over those who are failing? Do you feel like you're just not measuring up? That Jesus' kingship and his, 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 his prophetic ministry, do you feel kind of condemned a little bit because you don't, you're not like Jesus? I mean, if you feel that this, this evening, you need Jesus as your priest. This is why he went to the cross. This is why he came. He came not just to reign as king, not just to speak as prophet, but he came to die. He came to die for every time you don't submit to his loving authority. He came to die for every time you don't speak the truth in love. 
And when you understand that, when you bow your knee to Him, when you say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my priest because I believe the words that you speak as my prophet, then you get Him as your King. You get His kingdom and all the blessings that come with it. You get the power. He came to Jerusalem and He comes to you today. Do you want Him? Are you with the crowds that are so amazed at what Jesus at who Jesus is that they bow themselves down, they lay out the red carpet for him, tossing their garments down in front of him so that he can walk in like a dignitary? Or are you standing in the back, being critical, and wondering where does Jesus get off acting like a king? Now oh, I beg you, I beg you tonight to bow your knee to him. If you're not a Christian tonight, What more could you want? He is your prophet, your priest, and your king. He will fill you up to overflowing and he will make you say that God has satisfied all my longings. Through his blood, we are saved. Let's pray. Father, we say hallelujah. Glory to your name for being this good to us all praise and glory to you for giving us exactly what we need. God, we have all failed. We are weak and we do. We we deceive ourselves and we think better of ourselves than we should. And God, we, we are, we don't live close to you. We need Jesus as our priest, our prophet, and our king. Thank you that as a savior, he has done it all. There is nothing that we need that you have not provided for us in Jesus. Father, if there are those here today who aren't following you yet, help them see the glory of Jesus. Help them see how much he loves. Help them to be drawn and even compelled to come because they're overwhelmed by the love of God that you have shown in Jesus Christ. God, help them to bow their knee. Help them to worship you. Help them to say yes to following Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen.